This is the show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. All right, get your taste buds ready. We're at the, the fancy food show at the Javits Center. So this is the first interview, and we're with Ann Ch- Ch- Charlavin. Yes. Is that right? Sounds great. Yeah. Good enough? Or good enough. Good enough. All right. <laughs> All right, what's jackfruit, and why is it so important, especially to a vegetarian diet? Um, jackfruit is a, well, it's not new per se, but it's becoming more popular as a meat alternative, and... It's great because it really just takes on the flavor of whatever sauce or seasoning that you add to it. Um, Also, the fruit itself has a very unique texture that can't really be found in other um, fruits and vegetables. Is it meaty? (laughs) Yes, it is meaty. Um, Yeah, it has like a nice... Like a a good chew to it? Excuse me? Yeah, it has a slight chew to it, even after cooking. And the strands of the jackfruit come out once you cook it, so that's what makes it so absorbent of the flavor. So I feel like usually people that are vegan might consume um, tofu or other meat substitute that are made from carbs. Um, This is like another natural alternative to that. Is it more fiber-oriented than carb-oriented? Yes, it is more fiber-oriented than carb-oriented. Like, if you're a vegan, you may consume, like, mock chicken, mock duck. Um, Those mock proteins um, usually have more carbs than a young green jackfruit would. So, where does the jackfruit grow? Where do you get yours? Ours is from Thailand. Okay. And how long does it take for a jackfruit tree to, to mature and start yielding fruit? Um, well, I'm actually not sure. Uh, that. I'll, we'll, we'll Google that. <laughs> All right, well, but, but okay, but you do know how to make it, right? Yes. I All do. right. So, what are the things that we're sampling today? Today, we are sampling a vegan tuna salad and a vegan barbecued pork. All right. So, let's talk about the tuna salad first. Right. What What did you put in there, and how is it? You know, because it's presented very nicely. What's in it? Thank you. Um, so, props to my colleague for preparing this so nicely. The t- vegan tuna salad was made by um, first rinsing the young green jackfruit because it does come in a brine Um, rinse it and then we boil it for about 10 minutes rinse everything and then cut it into pieces and that's when we add the vegan mayo salt pepper and lemon juice okay and then what was the other thing the barbecue was a barbecue pork yes vegan barbecued pulled pork that's prepared a little bit differently Um, first we marinate the young green jackfruit in spices such as like cumin and chili powder once we do that we pan fry it with olive oil and some red onions and then the last step is to simmer it with the barbecue sauce. And that's how it takes this current form that you see. Right. Now, what is your favorite recipe with uh, the jackfruit? What do you like to do? It be exactly these, these two, two recipes, yes. All right, but if you get bored, what's the third? What's like a third? I see like there's some desserts there. There's some other things. What's um, that with the, the so strawberry? The desserts are actually not made with young green jackfruit. Okay. Um, oh, those are palate cleansers? <laughs> <laughs> this is part of our vegan dessert line, so made oh. with coconut whipping cream. Oh, really? Oh, that must taste spectacular. Yes, yes. It's it's great. Would you like to have some? I, I actually would. So, we're done. so what's the name of your company? Where can people find out more information? Our company is Vasini Food Corp. Um, we're a Thai food importer, so we carry all sorts of Thai food ingredients and beverages, and this is our new line of Thai vegan products. Wow. All right. Well, good luck at the show, and uh, it tastes great. Thank you. Um, thank you for stopping by. All right, greetings from aisle 5000. We're with Pam Schulte from the Lucky Spoon Bakery of Salt Lake City, Utah. How's the skiing out there? It's great. I'm Most sure. years, yeah. So I have a question. See, I, I was prepped. Why can't a gluten-free cookie taste as good as a fresh-baked cookie? And then it says underneath, my goal is to prove that it can. So you're the founder, so you obviously you know the answer. <laughs> we developed a cookie that tastes just like a regular cookie and cupcakes and brownies and... Everything else. Do you want to try one? I would love to. Now, what's before I, I, I I'm on the air eating and chomping um, to the distraught dismay of my listeners. What's your secret to making it taste so good? Uh, lots and lots of recipe trials and flour combinations and love. <laughs> All right, so let's try one. What do you recommend? Uh, lemon cupcake. Okay. Actually, what's this one? That's this one's a little bit easier to eat on the air. Okay, so let's see. Mm. That does taste just like a muffin. Oh, yeah, just like that. Now, this is the acid test. I love this is a chocolate chip cookie, right? Yep. 
I happen to be related to people who love chocolate chip cookies. So if this is like a real deal, you pass the test. Let's see. Tastes just as good. All right. So what's in it? What, what, what makes it? Butter, brown sugar, uh, a proprietary flour blend, uh-huh. a little bit of almond meal. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I assume these are great for gluten-free diets, celiac disease, Crohn's, and all the people who suffer those anybody maladies. Tolerant to gluten. So anybody who's just a little bit sensitive or celiac, yeah. Right. So the, where can people find your products? We are in about 1,500 stores in different parts of the country. In New York, we're in certain some stores, but I'm not sure exactly which ones. So so, so do you go to, do you have a website with a store locator? All right, I knew you did. Yeah. We have a website with a store locator. And what's the website? LuckySpoon.com. All right, and this, do you actually have a Lucky Spoon in corporate headquarters, a big one that is the Lucky Spoon? No, but that's a you good should idea. you should get one. Okay. <laughs> Just tell them that Richard Solomon from the radio said at a meeting, you know, your next board meeting, we need a lucky spoon. <laughs> Even if you make one up. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, have, have a good show. I've been to Hawaii, and I've had macad- I've been to the macadamia nut farms down there. But we're with Jim Richards from Illinois, of all places. But you don't sound like you're from Illinois. I don't sound like I'm no, from yeah. Illinois. That's, so, are you from Boston? No. <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> New Zealand. You heard of that place? Oh, you're a Kiwi. I'm a Kiwi, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. So, so, how does someone from New Zealand end up in Illinois with macadamia nuts? Yeah, from New Zealand, living in Illinois, working for an Australian company. It's, wow. Um, okay. It's crazy. So tell, so how that, tell me about that first, because that's a great backstory. Well, um, macadamia, macadamias are a native Australian rainforest tree. Okay. That, that's where they come from. So um, I couldn't be in macadamias if I wasn't working for an Australian company. So <laughs> that's kind of how it worked. We, we develop, we grow a lot of macadamias. So we have our own farms. Yeah. We grow the macadamias, we process them. But most macadamias are wrapped in chocolate or roasted and salted, you know. So we're growing this beautiful, healthy nut that keeps getting turned into candy. We decided to turn it into something healthy. So that's why we've made um, macadamia milk, or milkadamia. Okay. Um, now, I've, had, I've actually bought the milkadamia, but in most of the stores, I've not seen some of these other products yet. This one we launched two days ago. I mean, that's, why, that's why we haven't seen it. Yeah, that's brand new. Now, the macadamia fudge creamer, wow, that's good. You tried oh, it? I tried it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's sensational. It's like, it's like drinking melted ice cream. <laughs> I happen to like that. Yeah. Now, could you drink that straight up, or are you supposed to put that in coffee? Although it seems to be a shame for the coffee to be so outclassed. <laughs> the, the idea is that you put it in coffee, but I can't stop drinking it straight up. <laughs> and I think other people are going to find it the same way. It is just so delicious. It's it like, is. It's like a little shot of dessert. Yeah. Uh, for people who are not actually here with us but are listening, can you describe it? It's got this like beautiful creamy texture that other nuts don't seem to have. Like, like when you drink almond milk, it's more watery, and macadamia milk seems to be more creamy, if I could stay. stay. I mean, what's, what's your experience? And what have you done as far as taste comparisons on your own? But we, we didn't do any taste comparisons with other nut milks. No, well, I mean, we you, you, you've lived. I mean, you've lived. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure, yeah. you, you know, I'm sure you've had, you know, restaurants and other, other food shows. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Um, we use raw macadamias. That's the main difference. All okay. other nut milks, they roast the nut. And um, when you roast it, you denature the oils a wee bit. You um, affect the texture. And sort of the main reason they do it is they want to bring out a strong nut flavor. Okay. We went for a, a more subtle flavor, more delicate the taste of a raw macadamia is not really, really strong, but it is really delicious, as we all know. So we kept it raw. Um, that means we have to use top-quality nut because there's no way for us to hide any you know, any taste. And that means what you're getting here is a intact product that is, that is raw and delicious, but it tastes more like dairy than the others. The others taste yes, it like does. Yeah. Yes. And so it's an easier step from dairy to, to go out of dairy. That's where we positioned ourselves. We figured there's millions of people who will come across, and we want to be the pathway they take. Right. So macadamia nut trees, how long does it take to grow one before you get the nuts, and how much does a tree yield, and what's the issues that are complex about managing a whole macadamia nut grove? Um, like all plants, they can get very complex if you don't plant them where they belong. But macadamias are a rainforest tree. Our farm is right beside the rainforest where the, where the macadamias came to be. So it's the climate, the rainfall that they've always had. So we don't even have irrigation systems on our farm. It, um, and we find them relatively easy to grow. If you took them to another locale, it gets much harder. Like in, you've been to Hawaii? Yes, yes, I have Got to irrigate and, you know, um, they have issues that we don't have because the plant's in place. They... 
It takes about eight years to get your first proper crop off a macadamia tree. But then it will continue cropping, we know, for 220 years, but we believe for 300 years. We're just not going to be around to find out if we were right or wrong. Well, if cloning technology works, maybe you'll be there for the first and the 300th harvest. (laughs) (laughs) Clone me, yeah, sure. Now, now are those actual macadamia nuts in that jar over there? They are. Can I see what... Sure, I'll get you What what does one look like? They kind of look like rounded acorn, sort of. You know, I've never seen one in the shell. Okay. That shell is the second hardest wood in the world. Really? Yeah. Now, can you do anything with the shell after you process it? Yes. What do you do with it? So, well, what most, well, what some do is um, they burn it for heat because they've got a really high calorific value. So it, um, we spend, we dry macadamias down. We take moisture out before we crack them, and that requires heat. So we use these for that heat. But we're just putting in place a system where we get four products out of this. Um, charcoal. A, and charcoal is made from hardwood. So the harder the wood, the better the charcoal. Second hardest wood ever. So it's going to be a really good charcoal. Um, we are getting a thing called wood vinegar, about 25%, which apparently is great stuff to spray on trees. I've never heard of it, but I understand it's good. And we actually get a gas that's given off that we use to drive the turbine to dry down our nuts. And I can't believe it, but I can't remember what the fourth thing is. <laughs> right, well, let me ask you this. Do the squirrels that live near the macadamia nut trees, do they have the biggest squirrel teeth in the world? <laughs> to open, to open these things? They sure would, man. It, except there's no squirrels in Australia. Do, do, do they carry around like hammers or something? Yeah, they'd have to. Well, our, the biggest problem with macadamias is that it's so nutritious, that great little nut, that it's rodents that become the problem. Ah. And because it's Australia, once you've got rodents, you've also got snakes. Ah. So wandering around there in bare feet is, you know, in the long grass is kind of not recommended. But we, we use um, owls. So we've got all these, we make these nesting boxes for owls. One nesting pair of owls can eat three and a half thousand rodents a, a breeding season. Wow. So we've got a lot of them around our farm. Other farms use poisons and we don't want to do that. Okay. So owls during the night, fox terriers during the day, any rodents that come on our farms, they, they live a pretty scary life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we keep them away. So you also probably have the fattest owls in the, in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they are well fed. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right, so the name of the company is Milkadamia? Milkadamia. Okay. And if people want to find out more, where do they go if they can't be at the show today? Um, go to Whole Foods, um, locally, go to Wegmans, King's, Mums. There's um, a whole bunch of stores. We're almost, we're getting everywhere. We're almost everywhere. Almost All right. everywhere. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, well, good luck to you and have a great show. All right, thank, thank you. you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. All right, only in New York, New York can you meet people from Norway in the Javits Center, all right? No, I don't really know many two people. I know some people from Iceland yeah. and some Denmark, yeah. and I also know about the, the beer of Danish kings, but that's another story. Mm. So you are Hedvig Bourbon? Hedvig, I married a Frenchman ah. that I met oh. in New York. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> now, is he from the town of Bourbon? Like, is that where they make the, you know, the... No, he's the, from the Paris. Al- he's from Paris. Okay. He is. Could maybe his ancestors? Maybe his ancestors were, they, were, were they, part of the Bourbon family. Were they... Were they, were they Survivors, the, the survivors per- of the oh, okay. Bourbon family. <laughs> All right, so tell me about Norwegian food that you grew up with before we get into some of this other stuff. You grew up in Norway, right? I grew up in Norway, what, I What's did. like a typical Norway breakfast and lunch and dinner? Uh, Norway typical breakfast, I would have oatmeal porridge every day for breakfast. Okay. I would. And then for lunch, we would have a crisp bread okay. with a slice of uh, Jarlsberg cheese or okay. our brown cheese, which here is sold as the ski queen cheese. Okay. Very simple lunch, okay. it is. And then dinner time, you would have your codfish, your salmon, your meatballs. A healthy diet. Very healthy diet. Always at home and would always be made by my mom. Everything was made from scratch. I learned baking very early on. Right. And then you moved to Brooklyn and you started eating pizza, hot dogs, bagels. and oh, Bagels was a beautiful <laughs> sandwiches. I had never had a bagel before, actually. They didn't have bagels in Norway and so on. So that was a real good discovery when I came here. And the bagels with cream cheese and smoked salmon. Oh, so delicious. <laughs> a little tomato. Right. Yes. So, so how did you become the purveyor of these fine delights. How did that work out? I have worked out. Well, I got How did it evolve? Yeah, yeah. I, I got inspired by my aunt one summer in in Norway and then came back to Brooklyn and started baking for friends. As the kids now are older, I was thinking, wow, this, this is it. I've been a stay-at-home mom for over 10 years and uh, figured, you know what, I'm going to show my family and 
in Norway that I could bake crisp bread here and sell it. I so and it's been amazing. So are you going to take a link of this show and and spread it to everybody in Norway because you're on radio? Well, actually. <laughs> Because I'm famous now. Yeah, not only famous, not only yeah. am I famous in no, Brooklyn, I'm famous on the radio. Oh I have so many supporters in Norway. My friends and family are following. They are on Instagram and Facebook. Everything that's happening that I'm here at the fancy food show, they all are like so happy for me. Right. So what's, what are these called and what's inside of them? So, so let me just grab one. Okay. Have a taste. So what's, yes. what is this? What are, what are you okay. At? So this crisp bread is, uh, the base is rye flour. Okay. It comes from a mill upstate New York. Then we have the oats and oat bran and the seeds, which are pumpkin flax, sunflower, and uh, sesame. Oh, this is very healthy. Oh, yes, yeah. it's oh, yeah. very nutritious. Oh, yeah, lots of high fiber. Mixed with some olive oil and water. Okay. So it's very uh, soothing to eat. It has a nice feel when you eat it compared to other crispers. Often can be very hard and dry. Let's, this let's one do a isn't crunch. it because of, it's crunchy, but still comfortable to eat. Let's do a crunch for the radio. Stick a in your, uh, oh, very good. Yeah. Very crunchy. It is. Very satisfying. Okay. And in Norway, we say, yeah, here you say crisp bread, we say knekkebrød, which is great bread. Knekkebrød. Okay. So for those who don't know how to say that, it's K-N-E-K-K-E-B-R-O-D. Oh, I only know how to spell that, not because of my Norwegian ancestry, <laughs> but <laughs> because I saw the note over there. Yes. <laughs> knekkebrød. That's right. And my, my Norwegian ancestry from... New York City. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. the Swedish in there. Oh, you're from Sweden? My mother's from Sweden. Oh, that's hilarious. No, actually, I'm not from Norway. Anyway, yeah. um, so tell me about the company. Where are you based? I'm based in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. All right, great. I am. And then, I bake out of a commercial kitchen there. And it's like small batches and yes, handcrafted. Yes, it is. It's handcrafted. It is. I'm the baker. Okay. The maker. I have friends and family that come and help me pack. Okay. And now we will grow. It's been the reception here at Fancy Food has been so great. All right. So if you're here, who's minding the store? Who's cooking up the, the, the crackers? Uh, nobody's cooking today, oh. but tomorrow I'm back baking. All right. Tomorrow, I was gonna say, tomorrow so, morning, 7 a.m., I'm by the oven. All right. So I was going to say, the oven's cold right now. It's not a good thing. No, no, Lost, no, you're losing no, money. <laughs> We're baking uh, again. All right. So if people want to learn more about your products, where do they go? They can go to NorwegianBake.com. Oh, okay. Great. So that's perfect. And thank you, Hedvig. And uh, I'll see you either in I'll see you in Brooklyn or Norway, whichever comes first. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Anastasia Zeltos from Athens, Greece, and we listen to Richard Solomon on our computers, and we love it. All right. Well, if you're at the Fancy Food Show and you see the name "silly" in any. <laughs> Food product. You gotta go see it because you have fusilli. <laughs> right. You're you're Amanda, right? Yes. What's Amanda. your full name, Amanda? What? Amanda Morse. Okay, and you're from the Hudson Valley. Yes. All right. I love Valley. the Hudson Valley. All right, yes. go there all the time. All right. So what do we have here? I said I said there's beet fusilli. Yes. All right. What is it? It is uh, beet juice mixed in with the organic pasta dough, okay. and then we use this really great Italian machine to make the cool, unusual shapes. All right. We have about 20 different shapes and flavor combinations. All right. So tell me these different things that you have. You got trumpets, you got beef, you silly. I saw something with hemp. What do you got? Tell, give, it, give us the whole spread. The whole spread. <laughs> so All it's right. the whole thing. So we've got the organic hemp farm up in New York that we get the hemp flour from. Okay. Hemp flour creates a little bit more fiber and protein, so it adds a little extra something to your pasta. So you get... Here's a little bit more of an oomph. Yeah, like um. for those folks who you know want a little bit more healthy hits. Um, sriracha flavored uh, fusilli, which is awesome. We've got saffron. Uh, Saffron's good for you too. Yeah, so, so it's good for your memory. Yeah, it's really good yeah, for yeah. you. Uh, I think the radiator is one of the coolest shapes that we have. Oh wow, is that like like modeled after car parts? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you go on our website or our Instagram social media, you can sit for hours and watch videos of the pasta coming out of the machine and it getting cut. With the you know, dry. I got my, my my start in Play-Doh. Would, it, would that qualify me as a fusilli maker? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you think you think maybe I get a job on the weekends? Exactly. You know? Maybe they might let you touch the machine. You never know. I can wear a hat and gloves the whole bit. I know I, I could do it. Yeah. This is something that's, you know. <laughs> Right. Now, what are, you, what are the recipes that you like to make? 
Now, I saw this thing we had with th- that we had here with the beets and a little bit. It looked like feta. Yes. Right. All right. So tell me what you like. Tell me what you like I to make. I would say the beet would be great for a cold pasta salad. It's so hot in New York right now. Is what 100 degrees this week? It's Schwitzig. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I would do a cold salad. Of course, feta is a great complement. It's really bright and has that you know nice citrusy piece to it. But okay. you can throw in some other veggies. We have really great recipes on our website. Okay. Um, with the beet, you could throw in actual roasted beets. Um, looks like apples, maybe some um, different Dijon shallot, you know, all kinds of stuff. Right, Bottom cool. line is that you can make it your own. Right. Our pasta tastes so good on its own. I just put a little bit of ricotta and olive oil, and people will think that you went to Italy and learned how to be a master chef. So instead of being a radio host, it'd be Chef Rich. That's amazing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. So you guys have a website. What do you got? Soflini.com, and that's F. S F O G L I N I. Is that named after anybody? Spolini. It's what you call the women who used to make pasta. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Term for it. Uh, we called them pasta makers. Yes. <laughs> That's what at least we called them in Italy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, cool. all right. So, thank you for so so so. Do you get actually that you're, you're I'm actually you have back cook. here making it. I have right. my little pot. So let's see. So you have a pasta it. pot. Yep. Right, and then you have to cook yeah, it right and in, and you strain it, out, and then I dump and then you it put in. in the big bowl. And then we've got some partners here uh, who've donated cheese to us. Jesus, I'm using Italian cheese, so it's great. Oh, okay, perfect. All right, yeah. this is awesome. All right, awesome. thank you very much. All right. My pleasure. Have a great show. Greetings from the Vermont Isle, but you're from New York, so I don't know how you get out. How you how you end up in the Vermont Isle? Well, what happened is they want to recruit some true Brooklyn brands to make Vermont cool. All right, so what's better than the they, original hot dog? They had to up the uh, you know the level of play. Absolutely. Right. Well, also we applied a little bit late, also. Okay, <laughs> that's that's an honest and, and cool yeah, statement. Yes, you're Michael Gwynn. That's correct, right. sir. So you're from Feltman's of Coney Island. I am the owner of Feltman's of Coney Island. There you go. So tell me who was Feltman, and tell me the whole history. And we're looking at beautiful. Hot Hot dogs and delicious buns with your own mustard, I may add. That just debuted yesterday, the Feltman's mustard. Charles Feltman is the inventor of the hot dog. He invented the hot dog at Coney Island in 1867, built the largest restaurant in the world, which went out of business almost 70 years ago, but has been recently resurrected. What was the name of the restaurant? Feltman's Restaurant. Was it like Feltman's of Coney Island or something like that? Well, that was the LLC. Feltman's Restaurant was the largest, most extravagant restaurant in the world. It was two city blocks long. It had a, a beer garden, nine grilling stations, a hotel, two theaters, a bathhouse, and a roller coaster went through the maple trees through the beer garden. It became Esterland Park in 1962 after it closed. Okay, now, where was Feltman from? Feltman was from Germany. He was actually a bakery. He had a bakery in modern-day Park Slope, Brooklyn. Trying to sell his baked goods from a pie cart along the sand dunes of Coney Island. People wanted lunch. So he took the Frankfurt sausage from his homeland in Germany, made these elongated buns, and voila, the hot dog was born. Wow. Now, in those days, did they have mustard and all the other accoutrements, or was it just a plain hot dog on a bun? They had all those things, but they had to put them on a plate. So Feltman says, let's pile it on a bun so we could sell it, people could walk the beach and uh-huh. ride a car. Carousel and, and do all those things that people love to do at Coney Island. Right. So tell me, how do you, how do you make a good hot dog? How do, how do you make the hot dog? What now, goes in it? I think everyone asks for the snap. We have the natural lamb casing. It's naturally smoked, and we use all lean cuts of beef. Okay. So if you try this hot dog, guaranteed, most people tell me, it's the best hot dog they've ever had in their entire life. It's got a very nice, smooth, smoky taste to it. We don't fill it with garlic powder like other brands because we have nothing to hide. It's all pure beef. It's the filet mignon of hot dogs. Right. Now, as far as the bun goes, you have a certain kind of bun that you like to use. We like the potato bun, and we have a partnership with Martin's Buns. It goes fantastic with the uh, the Feltman's hot dog. The nice, fluffy, yellow, sweet bun. Perfect. Uh, now, do you, are you one of the... the so for cooking, are you a grill guy? Are you a boil guy? Like, How do you like to make it? What's the best way to make it? You throw that baby on the barbecue or an iron skillet. You heat it up until that casing is about to burst, and then when you bite into it, it pops open like a water balloon. The juices flow down your lips. It's insanely good. Now, I know my friend Marty's listening. He's all over this. I can't, I can't tell because he always talks about the snap. He always talks yes. about the snap. And then, are you a mustard and sour? Like, what are you? Are you a mustard and sour guy? Or just a mustard guy? Like, how do you like to eat it? Just mustard. We have a location in the East Village at the 80 St. Mark's place. I had a lady that came in last week. She tried to sneak ketchup in. She looked over her shoulder, got a little nervous. I ended up calling the cops on her. <laughs> Right. Now, do you do anything for Fourth of July? As far as this Fourth of July, Kobayashi, who is now partnering with us, is having a barbecue at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So Feltman's hot dogs will be 
there selling hot dogs, the best ever. Feltman's right. of Coney Island, the original. All right. And the website is Feltman's, and that's F-E-L-T. That's F-E-L-T. That's right. Feltman's of Coney Island.com. Dot com. We ship nationwide from that website, and you can find us also at Morton Williams and also at Fairway Market. All right. So we'll look for you there. All right. Thank Great to so Let me get a picture of you. All right. Sure. Thank you. Oh, if you can only smell this. This smells fabulous. So this looks like a big batch of shashuka, right? Yeah, shashuka. What is this? What is the secret to making shashuka? Uh, purchasing Mina shashuka sauce in a bottle at your closest uh, fairways. You get on Fresh Direct, Target. I mean, it really is just a really beautiful dish. Most of the, one of the most popular dishes in Morocco. It's a highly seasoned tomato sauce. You crack some eggs over it, poach it, and you can eat it for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It's phenomenal. Uh, you're going to stay to try one. We'll be ready in about two minutes. All right, That'll be great. So wait, I have a question. Yep. What kind of pan do you use and what kind of heat do you use? Um, well, over here at the Fancy Food Show, we can't use an open fire. No, no, I'm talking about like, like at home. I'm, I'm in my house, right? And I want to make this the right way. Tell me. I like to use cast iron. Okay. You could do it in a skillet, do it in a regular pot. Okay. It's, uh, it's really, there's no regulations. You could go nuts with it. Okay. You put it in a clay pot. You know, uh, I just high, put it right high heat, low high, heat, high heat, high heat. You bring it to a nice uh, simmer. As okay. soon as it starts bubbling up, crack some eggs over it. You poach them three to five minutes. Done. Hit it with a little bit of salt, a little bit of parsley or cilantro. Okay. Eat it with really good bread. And, okay. uh, and what kind of bread? What kind of bread do you like? Say French bread. French bread. French bread because it's crunchy and exactly. soft on the inside. Exactly. It soaks up all the goodness from the shakshuka sauce. All right. So, so how did you get involved in the whole shakshuka making enterprise? Well, I did, well my my mom, she, you know, she's an amazing Moroccan chef by the name of Mina. That's why the name the brand is Mina. Okay. And, so uh, I got the right guy. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, she's been cooking this up for us since we were children, and we just wanted to take her recipes, traditional Moroccan flavors, and share it with the world. All right. So when you're not eating shakshuka, what are some other great Moroccan food. We'll take it over here. We have. Right, so let's uh, take. Well, we can walk. I got the, the, the equipment's portable. What else do you like uh, to have, share with us? We have uh, harissa, which is a Moroccan red pepper sauce, okay. spicy. That's uh, one of the number one condiments in Morocco. Then we have over here tagine simmering sauces. A tagine is a national dish in Morocco, along with couscous. But a tagine is a stew essentially. Okay. We made a, uh, a chicken tagine simmering sauce, a fish tagine simmering sauce, and a red meat or lamb tagine simmering sauces. They're phenomenal. It's um, you know, you add your poultry. I mean, you add your uh, protein, you yep. add the sauce, let it stew for an hour, and it's done. It's Moroccan food made easy here we, at Mina. We, we like that. Yeah. All right, well, hey, I, I, well, I'm looking forward to taking a, a taste, and we'll take a picture right now, all right? Chatting, keep right. chatting. And your name is Rashid? Rashid. Rashid yes. Kalamini. Yes, but the but the name to hear, to remember is Mina. Mina, M-I-N-A. Exactly. All right, so wait, what's the website? What's the website? Uh, if, what's the website? What's the website? CasablancaFoods.com. All right, there you go. All right, thanks. All right, we're, we're in aisle 3400, uh, continuing at the Summer Fancy Food Show. And I guess we're on a tea run, because we actually talked to a couple other people about tea. But your tea is a little different. First of all, you're, this is Terry Wong, right? Yes. And you're from uh, Taipei, Taiwan. Yes, we're based in Taipei, Taiwan. Um, okay. Our tea company is called Kingping Best Tea, and we specialize in um, oolong tea. Now, wait, it's K-N-G... P-I-N-G, because yes. this is radio and people have to, like, yes. visualize it. <laughs> yeah, of course. And um, this particular fancy food show, we, we brought um, six products. Three of them are loose-leaf um, pyramid tea bags, and it's different expression of, of oolong tea. One is a more traditional Taiwanese-style um, golden golden oolong tea, which is lightly oxidized. The other one is roasted black oolong, which is has a roasted flavor to it, nutty flavor to it. And last one is um, a red oolong, which is similar to a black tea. So it's got like nice ripe fruits, a little honey flavor to it. And uh, we use those two type of teas, and we grind it up, and we add milk powder and sugar, and we we make an instant um, uh, milk tea. Ah, so in other words, if you're on the go, exactly. boom, boom. Okay. Well, well, our tea is actually um, the loose leaf is actually packaged in pyramid tea bags as well. Okay. So you literally add water. Hot water, cold water, right. and you can extract the flavors um, very, very quickly. So you can drink it on the go as well. Okay, so on your pyramid tea bag, can I cold brew? Can I do that? That's what this is. Oh wait, so because remember this is radio. They, yeah, oh yeah, of just, this guy just went voila, and nobody <laughs> saw it. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so tell me what the voila. So basically, you took um, a glass container, mm-hmm. a little bit of cold water, cold water, nice, or just cold water. Cold water, and you you leave it overnight in the fridge, and it'll extract um, the tea flavors, um, and you get. A little bit more delicate flavors, more complex flavors, okay. but you don't get as big of a kind of tea punch, so to speak. Okay. So, on a, so if you want a smoother and lighter, exactly. Exactly. okay. Now, um, 
overnight? No, did, uh, Six what, to what 12 you, hours at least. It'll last two to three days. All right. Many years ago on television, I remember I'm a radio guy, but many years on television, they had this thing called sun tea where you'd put the sun, you put the tea bags out in the, in the glass and you'd let the sun brew the tea. Is that, is that just marketing hype? I, I guess it, it, it works. The main problem with that would be um, maybe a maybe a, a sanit- sanitation. Well, yeah, yeah. this is New York. This is New York. We don't really worry about sanitary conditions. I mean, have you been to the subway? <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, I think they, they last cleaned that like 1910. Yes. yes. You know, now, what do you like? What is what? Okay, so what do you like, and and what is Taipei's kind of? Hometown tea, like if you're in. So let's say I'm in a, a, a eating establishment in Taipei. What is the tea that they would normally serve me? And would they serve it hot or cold? And would it depend on the year? Usually, the uh, type of tea that people drink in um, serving restaurant would be similar to our golden um, oolong tea. It would okay. be a lightly oxidized oolong tea. Um, sometimes it'll be a little more roasted, but it, it has the kind of the oolong. Because that's what Taiwan is famous for, oolong tea. Right. Now, in Taiwan, do they actually put the milk in the tea or do they drink it straight up? So, um, in Taiwan, the, there's a pretty popular trend called um, boba tea, bubble tea. I know bubble tea. Yeah, we have that all over here. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it started in Taiwan. And so, is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, what people do is they add creamer or they add you know condensed milk or they add fresh milk with tea. And then they, they drink it with um, boba. Right, the big straw. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> now, what, what exactly is in the bubbles? Uh, I never really understood, but it was like chewy. <laughs> yeah, it is chewy. It's, it, it's a little odd because you're drinking like this like tea and it's cold and it's been a big straw and this chewy stuff. <laughs> but, it, but it's delicious stuff. <laughs> no, it's very, very good. But, but, but that's just kind of, it's like definitely an adventure in drinking. Sure. You, know, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely different. And you only see, you don't see bubble tea everywhere, but there are pockets in New York mm-hmm. City where you see bubble tea. So bubble tea started in Taiwan. Yes. Right. And, and it's actually um, in Asia, at least started in Taiwan. It's now popular all over Southeast Asia and China. Okay. And I think in the U.S., it's becoming very popular. I see it in like uh, Lower Manhattan. I mm-hmm. see it in different places, parts of Queens, things like that. Yeah. Apparently, in France and England, it's really popular as well. So I think it's, really? it's becoming a global phenomenon to a certain degree. There's a couple of Taiwanese company um, chain store for these boba companies, and they have 2,000, 3,000 sh- shops worldwide. Wow, is that it's right? Amazing. It's it's a it's a fast growing um, uh, pocket of the industry. All right, the tea in Taiwan. How is that different from tea? The oolong things oolong teas that maybe are grown in other regions of the world? Um, well, I think it's kind of similar to to uh, grapes and red wine. Yeah. I mean, you can get good good grapes yeah. to make wine anywhere. I think it's just the, the region. It, it kind of imparts different type of character. Um, also, the processing is, is potentially a little different, too. So how did you get into the tea business? Um, you know, people don't wake up in the morning and say, usually people say, look, I want to be an astronaut or, you know, I want to write race cars. Well, actually, I grew <laughs> up. smash things. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I actually grew up around tea because my father started the business. Ah, okay. And so 40 years, it's a little older than me. Um, but, um, you know, after I moved back to, the, to Taiwan from the U.S., I, I started um, be, becoming involved in the tea business, family business, to a certain degree. Exactly. Oh, that's very, that's so, so, so. Uh, so is this a family-owned company? It's family-owned, mostly family-owned. Mostly family-owned. And then a couple of annoying people that you have to deal with, right? No, just oh. kidding. Ah, oh, just kidding. But I'm pumped. <laughs> okay, we try to have some fun on the show. Okay, okay. Uh, so what, what would you say for people out there who've not tried your products? Is it better to try it straight up? Try it, Do you like the, the milk? What, what do you recommend is the intro tea? And then what step? You know, like when you go to a food tasting, you always go with the, like the white wines and then the, the heavy ones and the sweeter ones in a progression. So if we were to do a tea tasting, um, what, what's the introductory tea beverage that you think? The straight up, you know? The straight up. Straight up, the golden? The, the cold brew. Cold brew. Golden. Okay. Um, and then maybe the, uh, the red. Uh, red oolong, which is uh, more oxidi- oxidized, so right. and then the roasted, and then we would go to the hot brews, and then maybe end ends with the milk teas because it's a progression of uh, the 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 intensity of flavor profile. Would you say that the milk tea is like a dessert kind of tea? Kind of, yeah, kind of, right? Yeah. So, what's your eye opener in the morning? What's the tea you want? Hot summer day. What's the one that you want? The cold brew. The cold brew, um, either the our red oolong or our or a golden oolong. It's a little more refreshing, good for a summer day. All right, cool. So if people want to find you, how do they find you? 
I mean, they're not going to go knocking on every door in Taipei going, hey, where's Terry? <laughs> um, as of now, um, we are looking to um, have a warehouse in the U.S. Okay. And then hopefully by year end, early next year, we'll be, we'll be selling it online. Okay. And we are looking to, obviously, have retailers work with retailers. All right. So right now, if you want to find you, is it K-I-N-G-P-I-N-G.com? Dot TW? Yeah. All right, perfect. All right. Awesome. Thank you for the time, and we'll be, we'll be right back. Hi, this is Rory Cosgrove, and you're listening to Rich Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. All right, you know they say, step into my tea parlor, so I just did that. <laughs> All right, so we're at the Fancy Food Show. We're, uh, where are we, what aisle are we at? We're at aisle 4700, we're with Ned Hegarty, right? Did I say it right? Correct, oh, Ned cool. Hegarty, Silk Road Teas. Silk Road Teas from San Rafael, California, IA. All right, and so, so are you the tea meister? Well, yeah, I've been in tea for 17 years now. I travel in China every year, and I buy tea, source tea in the early spring, high-end specialty teas from China. All right, what, what makes a good tea? First and foremost, good soil. Okay, uh, like many sense. things, it's an agricultural product, and then you need the farmer to take care of that plant, put in the nutrition, and then it's the pluck. What time? It's timing. Is the weather been warm? Lots of uh, amino acids flowing through up in those things. Everyone wants to procreate, so you want to get those leaves that are busting out for procreation. Pluck those and then handle it very carefully. Okay. So we're looking at, we're, these are tea leaves right here, right? That's correct. All right. So what, what do we see in these tea leaves for the untrained eyes, such as mine? What, what makes this a, a really cool tea? Like, this is, this is, what kind of teas are we looking at? Well, you're looking at, on this one side here, is a wonderful white tea from an area called Fuding in, in Fujian province. And this is a very early spring tea. And for your listeners, what we're looking at, it looks very much like a salad mix. It's it beautiful, does. Yeah. white, green leaf with some silver in there. Those are unopened buds. So you have a, it's a beautiful blend of green leaf and silver bud. Okay. And then on the second uh, basket here, we have a very deep light green with some more bluish colored looking. And that's a rolled oolong called Ti Kuan Yen. And that's a high mountain oolong from the coast of China, again, along Fujian uh, province, along the China Sea. And this tea is very floral, opens up to a quite large leaf, and it's a priced tea in China. Right. Okay. Now, what's interesting is that looks like a salad, and that looks like raisins. Right. You know, right. trained eye. Well, that's the thing. In China, what you see there is that that's going to give you a certain kind of taste profile, right? right. That's going to be very mouthfulling. And this one's been rolled and worked quite extensively, and it's actually halfway oxidized, where that's not oxidized at all. And this one is semi-oxidized. So now, what does oxidation do? And I thought, you know, you don't want to have, you always want to have antioxidants in your urine. Okay, so what you've got there is that's just the interplay of air on the leaf. Okay. The longer the leaf is exposed to the air, the darker it becomes. So when you imagine this, this white tea you and I are looking at right now is considered white and it's quite green. If they just left that leaf alone, tomorrow morning it would be a black tea. Oh. Uh, it's just letting the air play on the surface of the leaf. It turns increasingly dark. This is the oolong tea is equidistant between white and black tea. It's semi-oxidized. Black tea would be next to this and be black. So it's just let it play with air. So that's mid-station. That's okay. mid-station. Now I noticed that you guys use a certain kind of tea bag. It's not you know the usual commercial thing. That's correct. This is, so I, I noticed that. Could you tell me about the tea bag? Because I think that probably leads to the untrained palate and eye that I have, that probably has a lot to do with getting the taste to really come out in, a, in an authentic way. That's correct. And, and yeah, there's, there's two things at play there. One is to protect the, the subtle uh, taste, the notes of the tea, by not letting it be interrupted by paper or any sort of or taste chemicals. of chemicals. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then the second factor is what we try and do is put our product in. That's a, a spun cornstarch, non-GMO cornstarch that's spun into a silken thread to create a pouch that's tasteless and biodegradable. So we and it, and it can expand. It's that's called a pyramid style. So it can expand and let the leaf totally relax and release its flavors. Right. At different times of the day, is it appropriate to have a different kind of tea? Most certainly. Okay. So let's talk. Like, what's a good morning tea? What's a good afternoon tea? What's a good nightcap tea? 
Well, I think you're because I'm going to be drinking tea all day long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a good strategy because I think the black tea is kind of satisfying because you want a lot of body. You want something to help wake up, and you're looking for somebody to sort of nurture and make you feel. Black tea should make you feel not only awake but warmer. And then as the day progresses, let's say a gentleman like you that's working and doesn't really need his body anymore, but he needs to be mentally alert. Oolong tea is a beautiful selection because it's very active up in the hippocampus area of the brain. So you get a lot of brain activity without the agitation in the body. The other thing is caffeine in a tea like oolong is slow release. So it's you're getting a little bit at a time versus the large hit of a coffee, for example. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then as you move into the afternoon, you have two choices. You can do what's called a tisane or an herbal like that three flower celebration which is a blend of, of chrysanthemum lavender and rosebuds oh lavender makes you sleepy yeah it's very yeah, common yeah. yeah and it also no caffeine so it's a nice it hydrates you and it keeps you going or black tea is very refreshing so maybe a little black tea as you get to two or three in the afternoon and you're flagging a little bit a black tea or a green tea refreshes you wow now during the colder months does that strategy change compared to the summer or hotter months yeah, I think it does. You know, you know that you you might want something a little more bold and strong, like a really strong Yunnan black tea in the winter, right. kind of buck you up and keep you going. And you're probably going to lighten up, maybe going to a jasmine or even a white tea in the summer. And all of them are delicious. Just just uh, chilling them, putting them in your refrigerator, let them cool down, and drink them as iced tea. They're delicious. I happen to be a big fan of iced tea. Yeah, well, back here you need it. I mean, judging by this weather, you need something like that. So how did you become a tea guy? Well, I was introduced to a fellow who had done extensive travel and started this business in China. He was really the first person to go into China and source specialty unblended teas. And he and I became friends and over a couple of years negotiated and worked together in China. And then he wanted to sell the company, so I bought the company from him. And that was 17 years ago. And I travel every year, the same model. We travel in China and buy from small farms. Now, what latitude on the earth is the ideal tea-growing climate? Like, obviously, it's not the equator. It's not the North Pole or South Pole. So where, where it would it be? Like halfway up two-thirds, for, you know? Well, the coast of China, imagine that, which is more or less right across the, what, from San Francisco, just head to east. the east. Just go east. from Yeah. There. And you want, what you want for great tea is you want to be at least 800 feet in elevation, right up through 1,600. And your higher grades of tea are going to be higher up the slope. And what you want is a very warm, kind of humid day, lots of sun, and then a temperature that drops down into the maybe the you know low 60s into the 50s at night so that contrast up and down creates wonderful flavors and aromas so what is what is the the the, the plant look like you know just describe it because obviously it's the leaf yeah that you care about and how do you harvest the leaf without damaging the plant so you can yield more tea yeah. for the year after yeah it's critical well it's camellia sinensis is the base plant is the species that all tea emanates from. And it looks a little bit like your camellia that you have here in the United States, the very dark serrated leaf with the pink or the red flowers on it. It's it's thinner, It's and it's, it's got a beautiful serration. Uh, and what you want to do is let it grow to about three to four feet tall, so it's very easy to pluck. That's what you do when you, when you harvest tea. You pluck with your middle finger and your thumb, and you pluck the bud high-grade teas plucked that way and put it in a basket and then on you go eventually to your teacup so it's a and the rows are cut with and they usually hug right along very steep slopes of the mountains for high-grade teas so i have to ask a question have you actually gone out into the field at the farm level like with a pot of boiling water (laughs) plucked the tea and made the tea right on the spot yes we have and what is it like compared to anything else it's a bit bitter, astringent, because it hasn't been worked at all. Uh, you really need to do a little bit of work on it. You need to oxidize it to kind of calm it down. Right there, it's delicious, but it's what we call mao cha. It's raw tea, mao cha. And so it's a bit astringent or pungent. Pungent so, to be the That's word. interesting because, 
you know, you'd think like when you have an apple or a piece of fruit, you get it right from the, you know, from the or- orchard, and you bite, you're like, wow, it's the peak of flavor. And, and here, it, you don't want necessarily the peak of flavor. You need the peak of perfection. Yeah. A little different. Yeah. Yeah. And but on China's side, they they do prize that mao cha, and you know, it's all in what you're looking for. Tea people. I think the beauty of tea is that it offers you such a wide range of flavors. It does. Yeah. You like coffee. Yeah. Because coffee's kind of like coffee. Yeah. 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 And like you no said No disrespect earlier, to the coffee people. Yeah. <laughs> what's good in the morning, what's good midday, it's that same thing. Tea can really fit your mood. What do I have in my cupboard? Oh, I feel like this. And there's usually something to fit the mood. Now, is there a proper way to, you know, to, to, to make the tea? And is there a proper way to pour it and to have it sit? Like, you know, we're, and, you know, we're kind of like hacks here. You know, we, we have these machines and microwaves, yeah. and we take everything that's sort of natural and beautiful, and we nuke it, and we put it in styrofoam cups, which is bad for the environment, or, and we eat it in, or, and we eat it in paper cups, which probably has some kind of chemicals in it or whatever, or we drink things with straws that don't allow the whole tongue right. to experience the taste because we have a straw, which is not like bad for the environment, but it only concentrates the flavor like, like on the target area that hits the tongue. So what's, what's the right way? You know, there's only one way to rock, like Sammy Hager says. <laughs> What's the right way to drink, to prepare, and make a proper cup of tea? Well, what's most critical, I think, for most people is the water. Uh, if you bought a good tea, it's got flavors that you want to enjoy. So you don't want to have fluorides in there. You want to have a good quality water. So, like, spring water is critical. If you can get, or at least filter it, a Breda, some sort of filtration system. So the water's pretty much benign but best with some mineral if it does because it's complementary to tea and then you get with that you'll get amino acids and minerals and flavors and aromas that are unencumbered they're not being masked but from there it's very simple you want to just get your water warm just short of boiling typical a teaspoonful of, uh, of good leaf into a teapot Pour the hot water on. I would recommend a two to three minute steep and taste. See if it if you like it stronger. Let it go a little longer, and then once you get a little familiar, you learn what's your sweet spot. Oh, three minutes is where I like it, and it becomes intuitive for you. When you get up in the morning and you're shuffling around the kitchen, you know when three minutes, and you pour your cup, and it tastes just like you like. It's very simple. So when you're on the road. Do you carry your own stuff so in case you don't have to get, you know, you <laughs> nasty know coffee or anything? You, know you know it. There's like a little, little, little secret part, yeah, yeah. secret compartment with a knapsack, the briefcase. You got to do that. If you love tea, you got to pack your own. You don't want to be at the peril of the, of the hotel room. No way. Well, I, thank you for the, 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 the great information. A pleasure to meet you. We'll get a picture at the end. And uh, for all out there, Silk Road Tea. And where do they go and find you? Where do they look you up? www.silkroadteas.com. We're in San Rafael, California, and yeah, we ship all over the United States. We have a wonderful selection of high-grade specialty teas. And if he's out of the office, he may be picking tea in China. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're with Edward. What's your last name? Freda. Okay. Now, are you from Napoli, Napoli, Italy? Originally, yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, I have to admit, okay, we're at the Fancy Food Show Aisle 2000, kind of in the back, and... A guy from Morocco said, you want to try the best pizza ever? And I'm like, yeah, I'm from New York. I mean, we, we, we kind of know pizza around here. And I have to admit, this is awesome pizza. I mean, it was really good. So what is the secret behind all your pizza? I, I kind of heard from a prior conversation, but my audience needs to share this. So the secret is that we hand make all of our pizzas in Naples, in southern Italy, which is a city where pizza was first invented. The process that we use is we make them with no preservatives, no additives. We only use local ingredients from Naples. And once they come out of the oven, instead of putting them on your plate, we put it in a cryogenic freezing machine. The same that's used in the medical field or in the fish industry. By doing that we bring them to minus 400 degree instantaneously we say we put them to sleep and so after that they so, so it's taking a nap on the way over <laughs> exactly we call it the sleeping pizza and so they're allowed to sleep for 11 months and then when you get them home you take them out of your regular home freezer and you can put them in your oven it can be electric gas anything after nine minutes they wake up they come back to life and because they're already fully baked you're just heating them up a little bit and with this technology that we patented essentially it's like you're having 
happening in, in Naples. It's, Na- it's Italy coming to you rather than the other way around. Now, is there like a ritual? Am I supposed to like go, wake up, wake up? <laughs> You're supposed to slap, slap, it. It, slap it around, <laughs> shake it a little bit. <laughs> exactly, no. And that's that's why her name is Talia. Talia is the original name for the Sleeping Beauty. You know the, the oh Disney. sure yeah yeah okay so they took that t- they, so they they borrowed that idea exactly so yeah. it's actually an Italian fable and in the fable the Sleeping Princess is named Talia so for us it's Talia the Sleeping Pizza oh that's hilarious now how do you actually make the pizza in Italy is it is it wood like, like, give me the process because like, I'm watching them I'm seeing them cut tomatoes I see fresh ingredients but what's the cooking process so the first the, the, the main part of the process is the preparation of the dough. Okay. So the dough takes 24 hours to prepare. Our, first of all, our pizza put it together. They play with it. They put a certain amount of water. Let it ferment for 24 hours. After the dough is ready, that's when you cut all of the tomatoes, the ingredients. You cut you know, the, the mozzarella very, very small so that it can melt properly. Right. You put them together. That takes around 30 seconds. You put them in the oven. What no, kind of oven? Only wood-fired oven. Okay. And the wood and the water that we use are only for southern Italy. From certified, we call them pizza woods. Okay. And so they say 90 seconds in the oven maximum. There's the job of one guy who is simply to watch the pizza in the oven because it has to go in four different parts of the oven before it's picked out to change temperature. Right. Now, do you have a monitor on to make sure it's not on a cell phone texting? or <laughs> So it's not like 95 seconds, 102 seconds? You know, it's me breathing on his neck. <laughs> and so, yeah, they do that. They pull it out, and that's when they go straight into our cryogenic Japanese machine. Wow. And then, so it goes from how much heat to how much cold? So... In, uh, in degrees Fahrenheit, I think it's about, it goes from 600 degrees Fahrenheit to minus, I think, 40 degrees Fahrenheit, more wow, or less. So that's like almost a 700 degree swing. It's a, it's a pretty big drop. So we, of course, it takes nine minutes to bring it to minus yeah. 40. But when they come out, they're like, you know, completely paralyzed, flash frozen. I, but is it brittle? Can, like, like when it comes out, you know, you ever see things that are dipped in nitrogen? Like you take a tennis ball, you dip it in nitrogen, and then you can smash it, breaks it to a thousand pieces. Do you have that problem? You, you can smash it very easily, <laughs> on people's heads especially. I'm sure they'll make a great game show back home. <laughs> We're considering it for a commercial. <laughs> so, so how do people get it here? So we put it on containers and we store it once they arrive in New York. The way, what we're going to do in December, we're going to launch a location, a small Talia shop where we warm it up for you and we also deliver it straight to your home. The beauty about this product is that you get home, you're tired, you have it in your freezer, you pop it out, you wake her up and she's ready to go. All right, so it's TaliaDinapoli.com. So I'm going to spell that T-A-L-I-A-D-I-N-A-P-O-L-I.com. And their motto is handmade in Naples and shipped directly to you. All right, thank you very much. Thank you so much. All right, let me get a picture and um, thank you for a, a great pizza experience. Right, so we're Bob Moore. Everyone knows Bob because Bob's Red Mill. So what's the book this year that you're featuring? Okay, we've, uh, we've had so many uh, recipes that folks have shared with us that we've tried and really believed in. My wife's selection of recipes we've had for years. And it just became time for us to try to put some of this all together in a book. So we decided on a series of four books. We did breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then we did snacks. Okay, today... And this year, we're doing lunches. So uh, it's, a, it's a way of showing people how to use whole grains, how to eat healthy, and uh, that's what it's all about. And, and we actually do need to be healthy. Actually, you know what I love? Your chocolate uh, protein powder. Yeah. I love that because I feel like for, especially for the younger people, maybe they don't get all the nutrition they need, and there's a lot of really yeah. good stuff in there. Good stuff. Those are good sellers, too. Yeah. What, yeah. What, anything new this year that you want to highlight <coughs> that's, that's coming out there? <coughs> oh gosh. We have all new packaging this year, and by the end of the year, I hope we have it all done. We're going to the reclosable packages and stuff. We must have seven or eight new products this year that, uh, oh, you really caught me off here. Uh, I don't, uh, our new cups, we've got about eight yeah. new uh well, they're not just oatmeal cups because we're putting muesli in them and whatnot. We're just on the run to uh, try to supply folks with an endless amount of whole grain food for their health and, I suppose, for the health of the company. <laughs> it doesn't hurt that either. So is there a book for next year in the works? Yeah, well, it's not really in the works. I think we've already printed it. So it's, this is lunch now. It'll be dinner. All right, cool. Yeah. So next year I'll get the dinner book. Yeah, you'll get the dinner. All right. Thanks so much, Bob. Oh, you bet. Right, thanks. You bet. I try to cover this show every year, and every year it's just a great journey through tastes, 
uh, delicious smells, great things to look at. And I really look forward to coming here next year to see what new products there are. I hope you enjoyed our show. We'll see you next week. And uh, for those out there from the Fancy Food Show at the... uh, at the Javits Center. Thank you for creating all that great food out there. It was delicious. And as I say at the end of every show, I'm full. <laughs> Take care.